0: Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world, all on the hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network.
2: Hi there. Happy Wednesday and welcome to the hash here on Coindesk TV. We got Jensen Assy dancing, Will making a funny face, and Wendy o chilling up there doing her thing. She's sleeping now
0: She's sleeping. Oh <laughs> I'm you old. Sleep. <laughs> Leave you me alone.
2: Sleep thing. Get off my lawn, Will Foxley. All right, let's do this thing. We're going to be caught up on crypto news. Jen is leading us, leading us off with some comments from our friend, uh, Hester Purse. What's going on?
1: All right. Well, SEC Commissioner Hester Purse says that she doesn't support crypto bailouts, and she thinks that the recent market downturn will give the industry a more sustainable foundation for the future. In an interview with Forbes, she said, when things are a bit harder in the market, you discover who's actually building something that might last for the long term and what is going to pass away. So yesterday, we spoke about Sam Bankman-Fried and all of his companies bailing out these companies that are having liquidity issues. And now we have Hester Peirce saying, you know what? It might be better to just let these companies pass away. It's going to lay the foundation for a better future. Will, I see you nodding away there. Do you agree with the SEC commissioner?
3: I'll always nod along with you, Jen. Always follow you. I do agree <laughs> with her. I think that there is a place for this to happen right now. A lot of these companies are insolvent. A lot of these companies have liquidity issues. They are not built to last during this, and you have to let the market do its thing. This does come from like a very aggressive capitalistic stance where you just like let the people who can't perform fail and let the people who can do well with the assets that have been given do better. And that would help everybody else out in the long run, right? You don't want someone who's incompetent running these things because that's going to hurt people in the long run. Don't want to get into specifics here, not name calling at all. But if you're looking at it from like a larger perspective, which Hester Peirce as a government regulator has to do, you would have to come to the conclusion that you need to allow people to fail and allow people to make their own mistakes. This comes against some other decisions that the government has made in the past. 2008 is probably the best example of that where you saw the government stepped in, right? They tried to help banks out. They tried to pick these banks up when they are failing, when they were overexposed, when they had insolvency issues. And the repercussions we saw from that over the long-term were pretty devastating, right? We had banking systems become more entrenched. We might have people keep their jobs, but it comes at the cost of long-term benefits to society, right? Now we have a much more centralized banking system. We've had this explosion of decentralized finance to fight against the centralized finance system. I think that her comments come from a very proto-capitalist stance, but also just from an understanding of like the, the way we've been run things has not been working, so let things change uh, how they should. Zach, throw it up to you.
2: Yeah, I mean, for better or worse, crypto is still really small, right? There's never going to be, at this state of the industry, the political pressure to act and bail out some of these actors that have become systemically important to this little wee world of the crypto stuff. So we're not going to see like government intervention here, So, you do get the opportunity to see market forces play out in real time. And I think, you know, uh, Commissioner Hester Peirce is saying here, you know, we need to see the natural selection unfold in the crypto markets. And that's a fine thing. There is pain along the way for small time users of these services. And so, there is some degree of controversy to what she is saying. She's saying, okay, well, you know, if Celsius or BlockFi goes belly up, so be it. Those creditors, those people who are involved in those platforms may feel that pain. And I think that's something that. Also needs to be articulated here, but in broad strokes, I, I think uh, you know crypto is again these pure market forces and this kind of hardcore capitalistic thing that we're seeing unfold right now in these times of crisis. So it's interesting to see uh, a very prominent person such as Hester go out here and say kind of what everyone is is sort of thinking. Right, this is going to wash away some of the lesser projects, and hopefully the the stronger ones will survive the forest fire and grow to be the big trees. But I'll toss it to Jen for her thoughts.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to add in there. The article said that she does not she's not condoning any suffering. And she's very sympathetic for anyone who suffered due to the market downturn. But she remains cautiously optimistic as the market is looking to correct itself. But Wendy, I'll toss it up to you.
0: (laughs) I I have to speak on this because I got my story next. But I, I get what she's saying, I understand it, but at the same time she's a public servant, and the public servants have really let the American people down as a whole as we've had years and years and years to establish some sort of framework, some sort of regulations, some sort of consumer protections, and the public servants have failed us so now we're not these are not necessarily super small companies. these are very large companies with a very large database, blockFi, Voyager, Celsius, and whatever else also crypto is still essentially a operating in a free market. So if somebody with large pockets wants to come in and step in and bail these companies out, that's their business. That's going to be a risk that they have to take. I understand the capitalist perspective, but I'm very much about you know people doing what they need to do to improve their quality of life. But at the same time, you can't be a public servant and you can't sit and bail out the banks and bail out other large corporations. But then when retail's getting hit hard, say, no, we're not going to bail you out. We're going to make you learn your lesson. Why aren't they bailing out when they continue to bail out the banks and these large corporations? that are dictating a lot of the issues that we have in this current economy. Zach, go ahead.
2: Well, I think the answer is because way many more people use banks than they use crypto lending services, right? So there's no political pressure at this point of where the crypto industry is that like there's no group of people with pitchforks saying like, B- we need help or else, you know, like we're going to lose our life savings and like, you know, I'll lose my job. That's not happening yet here in crypto. It is still relatively small. I think yet is, is an important note to have in there. But right now, I think the pressure for government intervention certainly isn't there. Wendy, your point about sort of like private companies making business decisions to step in in times of crisis, that is an aspect of this playing out sort of again with those sort of raw market forces. It's just really interesting to see Hester get out here and be like, yep, survival of the fittest. Let's see what happens. But Jen, I saw your hand. I'm going to give you last thought
1: on this one. I just want to say, I don't think it's fair to lump Hester Purse, crypto mom in with all of the mom. other public... Servants, she is crypto mom. She has been a long time supporter. (laughs) That title is so cringe. That's
2: like the most cringe title. If you would say that,
1: you're crypto dad. Yeah, Yeah, that's Christian
2: Carlos. No, that's 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 (laughs) Christian Carlos. former Crypto Uncle, crypto (laughs) crypto uncle, crypto 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 cranky uncle. guys. (laughs) Getting dragged. All right, Wendy, you have the next story.
0: All right, we got to talk about this story because. I've got a lot of thoughts on this. So Bitcoin whale, Michael Saylor, urges governments to step in and regulate crypto's parade of horribles. So we have Michael Saylor, a big Bitcoin bull, coming in, talking about basically that altcoins are trash and that we need some sort of regulation to to save the industry. One interesting thing that was said in this article that I thought was interesting. He claimed even rock-solid multinationals like Apple would see more volatility in their share price if there were no regulations. That, for example, prevent wash trading, a practice of artificially inflating prices by trading between two wallets owned by the same party. This is the thing. And before I hand it over to Will, I understand a lot of that the Bitcoin maximalist ideology is that they don't like altcoins. They want them all to go to zero. But in my personal opinion, I think without altcoins, we wouldn't have this much adoption. We wouldn't have that many brand new people, especially retail people, coming into the space. Yes, there's a lot of problems with altcoins, but at the same time, without altcoins, would we have Lightning Network? Would we have all of this innovation with Bitcoin? I believe that competition forces people to do better and to build better things because they're in competition with other parties. And I don't think without these altcoins, without all these services, that Bitcoin would be where it's at today in 2022. Go ahead and take it away, Will.
3: Yeah, this is a really interesting story for Michael Saylor, who is the the Bitcoin bull, 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 if anyone wants to take a throwback to last year of that video.
0: (laughs) Please, no, never again.
3: No, never never show that video again. Interesting thing here is you're seeing like a clash of a few different ideologies, right? You have Bitcoin maximalism, which is Bitcoin and Bitcoin only. Then you have Michael Saylor, who is a Bitcoin maximalist, but he also comes from the traditional finance world. And he knows how to use traditional finance to hyper leverage his position as a public company in order to buy Bitcoin. And then you also have like the altcoin angle, right? Where these altcoiners are saying, no, we need to innovate. We need to allow money to continue to be competitive. We need to be able to build things on top of these chains and not just use them for money. And so you're seeing a clash of three different perspectives in one place. And I'm sympathetic to each one in their own kind. It just sort of, at a certain point, they clash with each other and you have to choose which side you're on. Uh, From Michael Saylor's perspective, of course he's going to say this, right? Like he has a huge bag of Bitcoin and it's just like Amazon stock. When you have a lot of amazon stock you're really in favor of amazon putting up rules and regulations that protect amazon at the expense of other competitors so yes he wants to have regulation that's going to protect his bitcoin bag on the other hand i can also sympathize with michael saylor and look at the market conditions that have been happening for the last few weeks and you can say yes it's very fair that three Euros capital celsius a lot of these other firms have been using bitcoin as pristine collateral against altcoins, which altcoins typically go down 99% bear market, and you're saying that Bitcoin is going to be the loser out of that because it's getting dragged down by all these other coins that more or less do look like securities. Uh, they do look like securities. And whether you agree with securities laws or not, a lot of these coins do look like securities. They have investor contract. They have cash flows. You can flip them and trade them between people. So I'm sympathetic to both sides. I do think that it is funny, though, just to get these sort of articles out there and get these headlines out there that are more or less just protecting and pumping his own personal stash. Zach, I'll throw it up
2: to you. Yeah, he didn't pull many punches in this one. He definitely said unregistered securities like 17 times and was definitely throwing punches (laughs) at other projects that he has long disliked, right? Not by name, but he's out here saying, hey, these are unregistered securities and like that someone needs to step in. There's a little bit of like regulation for thee and not for me vibes coming in on this one, which is kind of weird. Like asking for government intervention seems to be a bit at odds with some of the more, I guess, libertarian Bitcoin ethos that he's espoused in the past. But uh, it is, I guess, worth distinguishing in the broader mainstream market between you know Bitcoin and some of these other assets. They're very different, and I think you know Michael Saylor again, Bitcoin bull, bull, bull. Wow, that was a nice throwback. <laughs> Will I'm going to have to tip the cap to you on one that up. one. That was a good one. So for him to come out and be like, hey, you know, like, these are different things. And you know, these are all not different Bitcoins. Bitcoin is its own sort of unique beast. Of course, someone with a huge financial interest in seeing Bitcoin thrive, may want to create separation between Bitcoin. And like, you know, the slime, I think he said slime at one point that was trading in the crypto market. So there was definitely some choice language in this one. Jen, I saw your hand up.
1: Yeah, well, of course, Michael Saylor, I feel like is going to say this at this time, right? All of his bets are on Bitcoin. We don't even know what MicroStrategy does anymore. And I think a lot of these issues that he's bringing up, you know, they were around during the bull market, but as Bitcoin was flying high, he was just out there, you know, pumping Bitcoin in the media. And so I think it's quite convenient that he's saying this now. And I think it will. And I know I I have this take all the time. It will be convenient for regulators as they look at the space to have this Bitcoin maxi, who is such a supporter of Bitcoin, who made all the headlines during the bull market to now be calling for regulation. I think they're going to take this and run with it and use it to their power to enforce regulation much quicker before we hit the next bull. I saw someone's hand go up, but I don't know whose it was. Wendy. It was me. Just really quickly,
0: Michael Saylor is taking out a lot of collateralized loans with his Bitcoin, and that's kind of a feature of DeFi. And DeFi kind of relates directly to altcoins. So I think it's very interesting that he has made his money and his brand and his business on purchasing Bitcoin, but utilizing loans. So just had to throw that out there. And I think we should just support each other in this industry. And that's that. Just hug it out. More Everybody fun. bring it in.
2: All right. A bunch of big tech companies got together and they said, we're going to make the metaverse inter Operable. We're talking about Microsoft, Meta, formerly Facebook, Sony, you name it. Some folks weren't there though, and I think that's the interesting part about this story. Apple wasn't there. Some of the other folks who built more traditional Web2 metaverse experiences weren't there. And to me, the thing that stood out is that none of the Web3 metaverse players were there at all. So nobody from Decentraland, nobody from Sandbox, nobody from the Solana One portals. They weren't part of the conversation at all. So. Big tech giants are thinking about how do we make the metaverse interoperable and what do we do in terms of making standards that can make that work? It's a conversation that we've seen uh, occur in the Web3 space with some of the existing Web3 metaverses. But this is for the big Web2 boys on this one. So we'll talk about this. I'm going to throw it to Jen because it's the metaverse minute. We didn't get the metaverse minute wipe, unfortunately. (laughs) I don't know know what that's about, Control. But I'm going to toss this to Jen for her thoughts.
1: Control really failed us. Well, interoperability is needed when we talk about the metaverse, right? We have all of these companies building out their version of the metaverse. And for there to be really a seamless user experience, we want to be able to to jump from metaverse to metaverse. So I think the conversation is important. But Zach, exactly to what you pointed out, this is a bunch of companies that probably have very different goals and very different visions for what the metaverse will look like for them. And I think that's the first problem. I think that we need to align on our goals and align on our vision before we can start creating standards and to lock out the web three companies that are really at the forefront of thinking about what the metaverse can be and like roblox roblox has the most i would say probably the most successful version of what a metaverse could be right now on the market and the fact that they're not involved in this makes me wonder why. I would love for someone, Zach, maybe get on that. Maybe ask the people at Roblox, why are they not involved in this? I would love to understand why. And maybe it has to do with how this is being organized and run.
0: Wendy? I think what, what I see happening from the story and also cough, cough, mm-hmm. gala games. Yes, I've got a fat moon bag of gala, but anyways. I think what these, we're seeing these traditional tech companies do. I think that they want to kind of isolate the market and they don't want to work with any of the web three companies because if they do work with the web three companies, it's going to take away from their market share. That's what I'm seeing by reading this. So. We are going to have Metaverse. We are going to have Web3. We are going to have all this gaming, all of these things, and it's all going to merge over. But I feel like these companies are in competition with themselves to create their own version of what works to kind of capitalize on the market. And you have to remember their businesses. And that's the way that they've operated previously. Why would they want to be interoperable and work with each other when they can create their own ecosystems? Because in the past, have we really seen them work well with each other building things or have they kind of always stayed separate? That might
1: be a question for somebody else answer it's such a web 2 way of thinking right like if you really believe in what the metaverse can offer and you really believe in this this decentralized online world and i haven't seen this commercial in canada but i've been in the states now for like the past month and a half and that meta commercial that is like the metaverse is going to be this amazing thing and surgeons are gonna operate in the metaverse. It plays like every 10 seconds on TV. If we really believe in that, then why are we building committees like this? It doesn't make any sense. Zach.
0: Marketing ploy.
2: I swear, those commercials have such like IBM blockchain vibes to them, like supply chain <laughs> on the blockchain brought to you by <laughs> IBM, your lettuce track and trace safety from like 2018. Remember those when there was all that spe- that spending on that? So we're seeing that version of this sort of manifest itself in these metaverse commercials. It's pretty striking to see But yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's an early step here for making standards. And I think standards and interoperability is going to be really key, right? So that you can be your same virtual self in all these different walled gardens. That's great in terms of user experience. And I think that's something that, you know, Web3 projects are thinking about too, right? You have the benefit of, you know, a wallet being able to transport yourself around these different platforms in most instances. But this needs to be thought about in the Web2 context. And hopefully some progress is made here as this forum stands itself up. We got to get Will on the board here. Will, what are you thinking? Yeah, I got to get
3: my metaverse minute in here. Uh, The one thing that's interesting to me is do all these projects that are involved with this standardization have a token or do they not have a token? I think that could be maybe something that sort of draws or separates things, right? So I don't have the 30 team list in front of me, but a lot of the teams that you guys were talking about there do have tokens, right? And so maybe there's something along those lines that is interesting here. This is not I don't the token. Think any trap. Of them this is
2: like, have a non, token. this is not the token. Yeah. Trap. So that's my
3: point. Like, they don't have a token. So maybe they just want to be like a little separate from it. Uh, so that's just one curiosity. I think we need to do more investigation because I got to look at the whole list. Uh, the one point I do want to make and throw it back over to Jen is that, like, when you're making Web3 standards, right? Ethereum got ahead of that with their ERC20 token. That became the de facto standard because they got ahead of everything so now uh, Facebook or Meta and these other projects like NVIDIA are probably trying to do the same thing, right? They've also created a lot of standards. There's a lot of standards baked into these protocols as well that Facebook has built, that Microsoft has built. Uh, It's all about getting there first and then making everyone apply to your standards. So I'd say like on the flip side, it's to the benefit of Meta and uh, NVIDIA and all these people to get their standards aligned. And then is on the other Web3 teams to get their standards aligned as well, right? And they all have competing tokens, they all have competing projects, so it can be hard to organize those things. That was sort of the benefit of Ethereum coming along with its central tenants, its central platform, its central EVM. Everyone could use that standard and build on top of it. These other Metaverse projects, they're sort of all over the place, right? They're building on different chains, different standards, and I think they're sort of at a loss because they don't have the ability to work with each other all the time. Zach, your take?
2: Yeah, I was just looking at the uh at the press release and like, you know, there's definitely talk of online economies. But really, the only clue that this could have anything to do with crypto in some future form is the name of one company that's involved is Zero X Senses. Zero X, 0x obviously, is what Ethereum wallet addresses start with. And that's how people kind of identify themselves in pseudonymous forms. So there is a little clue that someone who is thinking about blockchain and potentially Web3 metaverse experiences is. Right is involved in this through the form of quoted person from 0x senses but otherwise the all conversation all, all mention of web3 tokens all that stuff is completely uh, devoid in this press release
3: okay let's go arcane research has put out a new research report on the state of bitcoin mining disclosure i do work for a bitcoin mining company uh this Information we have shows that miners were dumping last month in the month of May. They dumped a huge amount of Bitcoin. I think in terms of Bitcoin, in terms of dollars, it was an all-time high. Uh, This is Bitcoin moving off of miners' wallets and balances from their personal treasuries into the open market and selling. Uh, So a ton of Bitcoin, I think at one point it was like over 8,000 Bitcoins moved by miners. Uh, we saw large public miners like Core Scientific dump Bitcoin on the open market. We saw Riot Blockchain, another big miner dump Bitcoin in the open market. It also seems like smaller guys are also getting rid of their coins. Uh, the story here is last year, a lot of these miners were holding on to their Bitcoin, their, the HODL crowd, right? And that was a operations tactic because they thought Bitcoin could go to 100K or it could go even higher and they wanted to ride the wave was also sort of a marketing ploy, right? They wanted to be part of the hodl crowd. They didn't want to sell. They want to be diamond hands. And so they wanted to get some attention for both their stock and both for their company by hodling their Bitcoin. Well, it doesn't always work, right? You get to a certain point where Bitcoin drops, the cycle ends, and you've been holding on to these Bitcoins, which were at one point worth almost $70,000. And now they're worth about $20,000. And so you have to take a loss on your books and your operations are still just as expensive as they were beforehand. So we saw a lot of miners decide to get rid of Bitcoin last month, and dump into the open market. At this point, it's hard to say like, how much of an impact this had on price because miners typically don't have that much Bitcoin. A lot of the Bitcoin has been mined already. About 19 million coins have already been mined of the 21 million total. So they're really only fighting over uh, like 900 Bitcoin per day. In terms of volume trading for Bitcoin, that's not a ton. This does tell you about like the ecosystem for miners though. Like, are these miners healthy and where are we going from there? Zach, I'm going to throw it up to you for your take.
2: I got to pay them bills, you know. I mean, this is an asset. They got to liquidate this asset. Pay them bills. I mean, you said, you know, operationally, those expenses are still very much there. And, uh, you know, this is probably uh, an option of last resort for a lot of these publicly traded Bitcoin mining firms. But it's definitely something that you see happen during the bull markets in crypto, right? You got to cover those expenses, cover the operational expenses. And, you know, the benefit here with these public firms is that they have to disclose that as well. So we're seeing, you know, fresh data on this hit the market. So yeah, I mean, it's a reality of the market. And I think it's going to be interesting to see which, uh, you know, to go back to our, our Hester Peirce story, which Bitcoin miners emerge as the stronger ones and which ones uh, may have taken some strategic missteps during the bull cycle. Jen, I think I saw your hand though, so I'm going to throw it your way.
1: Yeah, so I have a question, Will. During Consensus, I interviewed your chief of product about at-home mining, right? And after that, I was thinking, like, given the market, at what point, if you're mining at home, is it more profitable to just turn off the miner? And so please tell me, what goes into that equation and what should you be considering um, given the current market conditions if you're mining at home?
3: Yeah, I'm actually pretty bearish on home mining. So home mining is basically take your miner wherever you're going to get it. You're going to plug it into your wall socket. You don't really have to upgrade it. So that's a cost. Then you have to use your home energy. Home energy is like 10 cents an hour, really expensive. And if you're trying to get you know, some Bitcoin at the end of the day, your cost of running the miner and then the mining rewards you're getting from Bitcoin are always battling against each other. With Bitcoin being so low and it's being so hard to mine Bitcoin right now, you're probably breaking even at best and maybe not even making money right now. So I expect a lot of these home miners actually to just unplug and wait. I think a lot of home miners go in with that expectation, though. They're like, hey, this is for fun. I want to be part of the network, much like people run a Bitcoin node or maybe they're a validator on another system. That's what they do, right? You're just doing it for fun. And you turn it off when you're not profitable, or maybe if you're really committed, you keep it online so then you can still get Bitcoin at the end of the day. You're just basically buying it from the Bitcoin network instead of buying it from Cash App or wherever else you choose to buy it. So. Right now, market is tough, definitely for mining. And I think that's why you're seeing these numbers, right? People are trying to help themselves out with their operations. How was that, Jen? Was that pretty good?
1: That was actually, yeah, that was great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank
3: you. L- affirmation's <laughs> helpful for me. I'll throw it up to Wendy.
1: One of the
0: things like, because I, you know, I trade and I do technical analysis and whatnot. And one of the things that we don't take into account sometimes is Bitcoin mining economics. Like when is the miners capitulationary? Like when will they actually be mining until they have to stop and turn their, their miners off because they're not in profit and a lot of people don't understand that and i said this on a spaces earlier is that i feel like we don't pay enough attention to what the bitcoin miners are doing and we kind of should because it's almost like utilizing a bloomberg terminal when you're analyzing different stocks or whatever it is that you're trading because that's the data that we need to know like key important areas of support and if you pay attention to the miners capitulation areas or the areas where they're not in profit they generally line up with key support areas or resistance areas on the chart. So I just wanted to kind of throw that out there.
3: Bitcoin mining is cool. Everyone should know that and should pay attention to it.
1: Can you send us t-shirts that say Bitcoin (laughs) mining is cool, Will?
2: I'll make it for you. Please. Just for you, Jen.
3: Yay.
1: Thank you. Wow.
2: Affirmation corner. We can get a new control. Can we get affirmation minute? Will, (laughs) you're cool. Mm -hmm. Jen, you're cool. Wendy. You're cool, too. I'm All right, design. that's it for the cool. show today. Just positive vibes only today. That's where we're at <laughs> on this Wednesday. Positive vibes only. All right, that's the show for today. We'll be back tomorrow for the Thursday show. It's going to be fun. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Zach Seward. That's Wendy O. Jensen Assey, Will Foxley. We're The Hash. You're checking us out on Coindesk TV, or maybe you're checking us out on the Coindesk Podcast Network. Both are cool. And you, listener slash watcher, are also cool. All right, that's it. We're wrapping today. Have a great one. Bye.
0: is in full bloom are your finances with the chime secured credit builder visa credit card you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments all with no annual fees or interest with chime's secure credit card you can start improving your credit scores right away get started today at chime.com slash build that's chime.com slash build chime feels like progress the chime credit builder visa credit card is issued by the Bancorp bank n.a or stride bank n.a members fdic out of network atm withdrawal and otc advance fees may apply terms and conditions apply go to chime.com slash disclosures for details